Welcome to the Artipop podcast. As the founder of Artipop, I've always felt we live in a highly conventional era when it comes to motherhood. But also that change is near. Therefore, I created this podcast to give voice to different refreshing perspectives around motherhood and life in general. I've asked a journalist, Kaira van Wijk, to host this series for you. Let's use our feminine energy to shape the future. So happy to have you here from wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, Kaira. Today I'm beyond excited to introduce Latham Thomas, a maternity lifestyle and wellness expert, author and master birth doula. She founded Mama Glow, a global maternity education organization, training the next generation of soulful doulas, and she's named one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100. In this conversation, she shares her many valuable insights around motherhood and how to prepare for birth in a soothing, natural, and spirited way. She also very candidly speaks on her own birth story, which was one of transcendence, and she feels a spiritual birthing experience like this could be available to everyone. Apart from this, she touches on the maternal health crisis, the importance of community, and much more. Hope you enjoy. Tell us about your journey, like what drew you to doing this important work and what have been the biggest eye-openers for you along the way? I was called to do this work in uh, response to a few things. First, my son's birth, which was um, really incredible. And he was born in a birth center in New York City with midwives and um I was able to walk home like six hours after I had him. And Mm. it was such a beautiful summer day in in July. And um, he was born on a full moon. I had a a great experience with um, the midwives there. And I I think that was, you know, I, I think I felt, you know, what I needed to feel to to have a transformative experience um, at the hands of the support that was there, including my son's father, my best friend who was there, my son's grandfather and his godfather. So it felt like family was all around. And then my mother came, which was a huge support after my baby came. And so it was a beautiful time. The most transformative moment was right before my son was born. Um, as I was releasing him into the world, I had a visit of my ancestors who came into the room, oh, wow. and that was through a vision, and um, and it was a very powerful vision. And after that, um, I knew that I would sort of support people through that experience because nobody told me that I could have a transcendent experience through my body that I would sort of leave my body and become one with um, spirit and watch my baby be born. Nobody said that. And so I was like, well, this has to be something that um, we're patterned to be able to experience. And 
why was it that I was able to experience it? But a lot of people don't talk about having an experience like this. And so I wanted to sort of help protect the sanctity and the the sacredness and the holiness of the birth experience so that people could have an experience that they were biologically entitled to and that they were um, spiritually um, you know, entitled to. And so that's sort of been the journey. That sounds just magical. Was the birth of your son actually the first time that you had a transcendent experience like this? Yeah, I mean, I've had life experiences that were awe-inspiring. I feel like, you know, it was the first time that I was in touch with my power and my vulnerability that were equally yoked. It was a time where, um, you know, I felt great. I felt great power through my body. Um, I felt great power spiritually, but I also felt um, the vulnerability and how um, precious the moment was and how uh, delicate this moment was and also how fiercely I needed to be protected to have the experience that I needed to, to undergo. I think that when that moment arrived where my ancestors appeared above me and I looked up and I saw them and I pointed, I want to go there. And everybody looked to where I was pointing, which looked to them like a ceiling, but looked to me like the heavens and seeing them all around me in the shape of a horseshoe. Um, I felt myself separate out of my body and ascend. And um, I don't remember ever having an experience like that before. And what I know now is that the chemicals and neurochemicals and the hormones that make it possible for you to have a transcendent event like that are ever present, but are, you know, moving through us in copious amounts during uh, labor. And, and, and it is this way so that we can have an, an experience of transcendence. It is this way because birth is actually a meditation. Mm-hmm. Right, and it is an experience. It's designed to transform us in so many ways, and so um, we we're all privy to the capacity for transformation, for healing, for transcendence, for uh, personal growth. Right, um, we we all have this capacity, and birth is a powerful opportunity to come into relationship with that. And um, and I happen to have the supports necessary to have that experience. It is not that everybody has that, unfortunately, and um, that's why it's so it's so much um, a part of my message to folks who are on the quest to support uh, mothers and birthing individuals on their journeys is that you know when they become doulas, uh, birth workers who want to support people that. Um, that they're not just protecting, you know, the experience and and making sure that people, you know, are safe and have advocacy tools. That's super important, and and it's critical for us to have, you know, safety and dignity in birth, but also transcendence is part of birth, right? And so uh, we want to move beyond just safety, and and make sure that we're creating a space for folks to transcend and to to actually. Um, 
move into the spaces that birth naturally requires of us. And, um, and in many of our birthing settings um, in modern society, that's not as possible as it was before. And so a lot of the work that we have to do is to, um, is to model our, our actions and behaviors to create a safe space for folks to have an event of transcendence, right? And, and so that's, that's really um, what I've been called to do. So it could be available to all birthing people to have this transcendent experience if they have the right environment and the right support. Yes. I mean, I think, you know, it's that, it's also the belief, right? In your body, it's the belief in the, the connection and the power of nature as it moves through you. It is also important to have real tangible um, connection and tether to community because birth doesn't happen alone. It happens through community. You know, even when we birth, It, although it happens through our bodies, it is it is a communal event. And so, yeah, you have to feel the safety um, in your community and network. Um, you have to feel supported. Um, you have to be in a setting where you're, when you're going home or wherever, you know, that the place of birth is, you feel safe. But also, what is the environment that you've been living in that's cultivated the pregnancy it has to be one of safety also. And a lot of people are living lives where their sense of safety and dignity and belonging is threatened, right? I mean, look at the things that have happened in the past few years with mm -hmm. a global pandemic, with political and social unrest, with, um, you know, with racial um, unrest and violence and state-sanctioned violence. Like a lot of people do not feel safe. And so um, the, the threat of our safety whether it's um, real or imagined, whether it is um, tangible or, um, or intangible is, um, is real, right? And so uh, those are going to be factors that also impact the way that we navigate pregnancy and the way that we birth. And then also how we parent on the postpartum side, right? So your ability to um, design a community and design a space that, um, that is, uh, fortifying is, um, is, is really important in also dreaming towards and, and mapping the event that you hope will become, um, the birth experience of, of your, of your child. And so, um, it is, yeah, a lot of it is us creating, um, but it's also, you know, um, A lot of it is also us working to strip away the things that are impediments to, to this, this vision, right? And then also figuring out a way to, even in the midst of chaos or in the midst of, you know, um, unrest or whatever is happening in the world, like a global pandemic, right? Even in the midst of that, being able to design a sense of safety and, and um, a place to feel swaddled so that you can have the birth that you desire. Um, it, it, takes, it takes a practice of mindfulness. Um, it takes, it, it takes um, you know, a belief of um, your capacity to, uh, uh, of cre your creative capacity. It, it also, you know, takes community, you know, to, to help you fulfill it. And so, um, you know, yes, 
you know, the environment, the community, the sense of safety, all these things are critical, but there are real life impediments that make it really challenging for people to to have the experience they desire. And so there's so much effort, right, required in um in in this in this pursuit, you know, with the way that we currently live. And you kind of touched on this already, but what do you think is the biggest change that needs to happen in the way women give birth today? I think from a um, from a sense, if we look at like how our ancestors and um, ancient people birthed, um, you know, they moved their bodies and they they would walk miles and miles and they would be barefoot and they would, um, you know, they would forage and they would, you know, maybe capture an animal and then process it and, um, and then prepare it to, to eat. And they would um, take a nap and then they would be chased by an animal. <laughs> and then, you know, they would be doing all kinds of activity that required mobility, right? They would, um, you know, squat and, and move and do all kinds of, um, you know, physical movement. And then they would, um, you know, garden and plant and till soil and do all kinds of labor that um, that prepared their bodies for childbirth, right? And so today, when we think about, you know, the, the kind of lives that we live where we sit at a computer for like eight hours mm-hmm. and then we go to a gym for an hour, and then, or we do an exercise class for an hour and we think about that as um, movement when um, ancestrally speaking, it wasn't exercise, quote unquote, it was movement, right? And so, you know, movement is really important. We need to bring movement back into our lives, right? And so not through the lens of taking an exercise class once a day, but how do you how do you optimally move your body as you navigate pregnancy? Mm-hmm. And so what is, you know, walking, yoga, dance, um, you know, stretching and, and, and different types of functional movement, right, is really important to incorporate because um, that also imprints your body, right? Um, you know, getting outside in some soil, um, planting, uh, gardening, um, weeding, these kinds of things, mopping your floors, you know, on your hands and knees, like these kinds of things, right. That kind of, um, allow you to move parts of the body that are actually helpful for the birth process. That's really critical. Um, you know, it's not enough to just say, I'm going to go take this Pilates class once a day or a few times a week. And, move my body in these ways that, by the way, are not necessarily functional and are restrictive or that may make my hip, my outer hips tighter or, right? So I think that we have this understanding of movement through a really narrow lens and the way that we birth also, um, you know, speaks to how we move in our lives. And so the more that we move, the more comfort we have in our bodies, the more ease we have in our bodies, um, the, 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 I wouldn't say the easier, but I would say we can meet the challenge of birth, um, 
you know, with, um, with more capacity when we move our bodies. And so that's the first thing people need to start doing, right, is movement and, and not necessarily through a gym, but figuring out ways to move their body throughout the day, right, constantly. Yeah. And um, so that's one thing, you know, from a functional standpoint. Um, you know, we need to also look at the kinds of things we're putting in our bodies, right? Right now, you know, we have a heavy plastic culture, a lot of processed, um, you know, foods, a lot of foods that are, um, you know, GMO or pesticide sprayed um, that are really devoid in nutrients. And so that's a critically important thing that we need to make sure that we're eating better quality food to make better building blocks to build our babies, right? And and then think about how we can eliminate some of the harms um, in, in the environment by not bringing them into our home. Um, thinking about how you can eat uh, a more uh, plant-based diet um, and, and get adequate nutrition, you know, by, by eating, you know, more, um, more plants and, and more foods that like provide us with, um, uh, absorbable, um, nutrients. Right. And so, um, I think people need to eat like locally, look at their ancestral foods, right. You know, eat things that are um, culturally appropriate for them, right? The foods that like align with, um, you know, what their ancestors were eating. Those foods are always going to be uh, foods that um, support our um, our growing and changing bodies and, and restore us um, during and post-pregnancy. And so I think, you know, kind of a back to the land, you know, back to, to our uh, ancestral foods, like this approach is always something that's at the, the core of, of what I want, you know, um, birthing folks to think about, you know, and also because the foods that we eat and the plants that are, you know, the plant allies that we bring into our kitchens, um, you know, are, are part of our ancestral traditions and part of our healing traditions. And so, you know, I want people to connect with that healing living energy, right? Um, and that's accessible to us. So it just takes, you know, research, conversation, and um, getting in touch with, right, um, our the, the plants. And so that could be creating a window garden and bringing in some of these um, kitchen herbs and, and plants. It could be introducing new ingredients, you know, that you're not as comfortable preparing and getting some recipes from family members. It could be shopping at your farmer's market to have food that's traveled less and that, you know, is uh, grown with more love and less chemicals, right? Um, it could be using less plastic and using more glass um, or stainless steel, right? So there's lots of ways for us to um, minimize the uh, environmental impact um, on our bodies and on the on the planet. Mm -hmm. And then the, the other piece I would say that's really more structural um, and that's critically important that we're all looking to solve for is, you know, we're in a maternal health crisis, right? And we're in this crisis globally, but, you know, in places like the U.S. and the U.K., um, we see really abysmal numbers when it comes to um, 
uh, black and indigenous women. And so um, in the US, there are uh, black and native women are three to four times more likely to die during childbirth or due to childbirth related causes. Um, you know, more likely than their white counterparts. And so what this means is that we're in uh, a crisis. I mean, it's not just like a, um, something that we can turn away from or think it'll resolve itself. It will not. I guess midwives could really be a key here also because they really overlook the whole birthing experience. Yeah, midwives overlook the birth experience. Um, I mean, you can have a midwife who works with you you know, during your prenatal period, you can work with midwives when you're not even pregnant. Like I see a midwife for my well woman care mm -hmm. and you can see them regardless of whether or not you're having a baby. But um, certainly during that period, they can support you and deliver your baby. As long as it's not a surgical delivery, they can deliver, you know, any type of, you know, presentation, breach, twins, whatever. So I think that the, the difference for, for doctors is that you know, in the 1970s and 80s, early 80s, they stopped really teaching people how to deliver um, breach. And so now if you have a breach presentation, they just do deliver it via C-section. Mm. Um, most twins are scheduled for C-section. And, you know, there are events where people will say, no, I, I really want to do vaginal. And so they'll, they'll attempt, you know, for vaginal delivery, but sometimes they'll even, you know, deliver you in the OR. So, you know, the having the experience and, and the, the ability to sort of trust that your body is designed to, to birth, I think is number one. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and having people who believe that, and that's what midwives believe they, they operate from the assumption that your body can do this, right. You need that kind of uh, faith, right. When you're working with a provider rather than one who's looking at your body um, as a pathology and looking at your body as a place that's going to, you know, uh, make a mistake, right? Like that's not the kind of energy that we want to um, surface. So yes, I love midwifery as an option. I, I think, and we work with really great doctors. And so it's not about, you know, dismissing their incredible efforts, but it is to understand that they are um, taught and sort of indoctrinated in a system that is not designed to create the experiences that we're talking about. I hear you. I also wanted to ask, are there any stigmas and fears that you often see your clients struggle with? I think a lot of people are concerned about the pain. So they'll talk about like, yeah, like, I'm, you know, I'm most nervous about the pain. I think I want to have an epidural. And I would just say that um, the biggest thing that I do to sort of support them through that is to, um, to look at the... Um, you know, to, to sort of, I, I, I work with them to, um, explore endurance exercises. I do breath work with them, visualization work with them. And I teach them about the anatomy, um, of, of labor and birth. And in that, I feel like people get more comfortable with the idea of what the purpose of pain is and what, um, what is unfolding in their bodies, right? You know, for me, as my son was descending, I just kept reminding myself that with each of these sensations, I'm closer to meeting him, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we can make our pain purposeful, 
um, it has a different meaning. And it also is informing us about what's happening in the body and how the baby's navigating the body. And so what I can find ways to help people like situate in their minds and in their hearts what what it means to undergo, you know, the what it means to experience the pain, right? So that's one thing that comes up a lot for people. Um, a lot of folks too, like are afraid of, you know, delivering in the United States and, you know, having like a traumatic experience or having a birth experience that is not aligned with, um, with, uh, you know, their desires, you know, like a lot of people are terrified of that. And, um, and again, I think, you know, as, as we sort of, you know, talk about that and, and try to support people through that experience, I think, again, it's really about, you know, making sure that um, people feel that they have adequate supports, that they feel like they're not doing it alone, that they have um, advocacy tools, that um, they feel comfortable with their provider. Like there's so much work that can be done to make sure that people feel the safest possible. Um, and at a certain point, we have to also think about the joy, you know? Um, it cannot just be about the horrible experiences that people have had and, you know, like, not everybody wants to hear those stories. People also want to hear stories about joy and about, you know, um, about conquest, you know, like these stories of like overcoming and, and having this, the best experience possible because of, you know, the support network and that's critical. So I just want to make sure people have that. Right. Um, but yeah, I think those are the main areas. It's like the fears around, um, safety and, um, primarily with like black women, mm-hmm. right. And then the fear around pain, that's a big one from pretty much most, most people. What is actually your view on C-section versus vaginal birth? You know, um, I mean, it's, I mean, one is a life-saving procedure, right? And so I think it's, it's really hard to say what a view is on it. I can say that I think that, you know, it is, um, C-sections are definitely overused as a, um, out of convenience. And, um, you know, I don't agree with, um, you know, sort of encouraging someone or coercing someone into a C-section, especially when, um, vaginal birth is a safe and healthy option for them. Um, you know, I, I do believe that C-sections, uh, have a place and can be life-saving. And I think that, you know, for folks, especially who did not want one, and that was the pathway for them to have their baby, you know, C-sections are sacred too, mm-hmm. right? It's like, there's a pathway to, um, you know, to, to birth and, and everybody has their own pathway. And, you know, some babies come, you know, vaginally and some babies come belly side. And, mm-hmm that's also fine if that's the way they have to come. Um, I don't think that it's a a thing that we should say is like, oh, this is an easier way. It's not easier. And, um, and it's not something that we should encourage people to do because there are great benefits to having vaginal delivery. Um, I mean, so many benefits uh, to the body and, and to the epigenome um, to, to deliver vaginally. And so um, my, my um, orientation is to always go that direction of, of vaginal delivery. 
and um, and for folks to uh, have the support to, um, you know, if they do have to have a cesarean, to put the supports in place for them to recover because that recovery is like six weeks to a year, depending on the person, right? So, um, you know, I'm always for a vaginal delivery um, to the extent that we can, you know, like move in that direction. And I've had clients that have had C-sections prior and, and their children after that have been vaginal. And so I, I feel very blessed to be able to support people on a path towards having the types of deliveries they wanted. Um, but I definitely think that, you know, C-section is leaned upon too much and that we have inappropriately high C-section rates in developed countries, particularly the United States is one of those places. But um but it is life it is life saving when it's used properly, right? Like anything else, like you know, um, we have to use things in moderation. It should be on an as needed basis, not as a go to. How can a pregnant person naturally prime the body for a vaginal birth? Do you maybe have tips for that if it's available to them, of course? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I was talking about this before. Like movement is important. Moving your body, you know, eating well, you know, resting well. Um, intimacy, you know, like, um, if you have a partner and you're attracted to your partner, you know, having sex is really great. Um, otherwise, you know, solo play is really wonderful for priming your body, softening, relaxing you, um, you know, warm baths and rituals and things that kind of like relax the body. Yoga, meditation can be really great. Singing, um, you know, being barefoot and gardening, things like this that just kind of keep you, um, grounded, right. These kind of things are really great, but anything where you can move your hips, you know, I love like, you know, African, uh, African dance and folkloric dance, um, that like, you know, allows you to move and, and, uh, sway your hips and, and shake your hips, you know, things like this is also really great for the body and really great to, to help get the body ready for, for birth. Um, you know, singing, um, all these things are great, but again, it's like, moving in a functional capacity is always what I come back to, right? Like, so if you're someone who's like, oh, I'm going to go do my boxing class and then I'm going to go sit down on my computer for eight hours. Like that's not functional movement. Like our ancestors moved their bodies all day. Mm-hmm. And so even though we can't move our bodies all day, we might not be able to sit at our, you know, computer, um, for less than six hours. Maybe we have to do a lot of work, but, you know, getting up every hour and stretching, or taking a walk, you know, when you get up to, to take a, you know, what I do like in the mornings, um, when it's warm out, like I go on my roof and then I'm stretching and I'm sitting outside. I might read a book. Um, when it's really nice, I take a very long walk in the mornings before everybody gets up. And when the sun is up early, I'm outside early, right? When it's colder, I wait till later in the day when it's warmer and brighter outside and I'll go take a walk. And, um, and so, and I'll walk like five to seven miles, right? And then I'll come home, I'll walk over some of the bridges, some of like more uh, more challenging terrain, you know, so that I'm not just walking flat. And that's really important, right? Um, so these are things we could do, riding our bike or, or walking, you know, is, is really, really wonderful. Letting the sun hit your face, getting that fresh air, 
um, connecting with the environment that you live in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, getting in the ocean, getting in some water, like these are really wonderful things. Rivers, you know, getting in nature, right? If you can do that, that is huge for the body, right? Like, like our body is informed by the environment that we live in, right? And and how we interact with that environment. So, um, the the less you interact and the less you move, it's like even in the time of birth. Like people expect that they're going to have all this strength, which you do have, but that they're going to have all of this, um, like, uh, you know, ability to, to kind of like endure the process, which is like a marathon. They think they're just going to have this endurance all of a sudden. It's like, it's not going to come all of a sudden if it's not built, that capacity has to be built. And so Mm -hmm. even though you'll have the, the capabilities to birth your baby, absolutely. Those are, you know, inherent inside of you. Right. But, um, but it's not just about that, right. It's about the ability to kind of move towards or train or prime, um, through daily actions, daily practices that are simple. And it's not just, oh, I'm going to go to my yoga class. It's like, I'm going to take a walk around the block and I'll be back. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to get up and turn on some music for like five minutes. and I'm going to sway my hips or I'm going to, um, you know, go take the subway and I'll walk the stairs or, you know, like whatever it is, you know, that you can find a way to move throughout the day. So if you're someone who's in a car and then sitting at a desk and like, what are the, what are the moments in between that you can make about movement, right? Um, where can you walk? Can you walk to lunch? Can you, you know, um, walk to go get your coffee or whatever it is that you do, right? Like what are these things that we do that can be more functional instead of like more automated, right? And so that's what I think about, right? I think about us getting back into our bodies and not thinking about exercise as a 50 minute time block in our day, but exercise as our entire day. So, and instead of exercise, remove the word exercise to movement and then think about how you move your whole day. So that, if we start doing that too, then that makes it so that we have less pain, we have less discomfort when we're sleeping. You know, a lot of us are reactive to pain that are, that's coming in, that's showing up in our bodies because of the way that we live, right? So if we're sitting a lot, like, yeah, we might have, you know, a sacroiliac um, joint pain, or we might have sciatic pain, right? Um, all these things are also, you know, because of, function and, and, and lack of movement sometimes, or the way that, you know, or stagnation. So part of it is moving our bodies, you know, getting in touch with the things in our, in our ambient landscape, in our environment, you know, those things can be very, very helpful to lend itself towards a, um, a healthy and, um, you know, very, um, um, just like, yeah, like a a full birth experience, right? Like one where you can like be present in your body and, and, um, and not feel overwhelmed by what's happening in your body. Like it is a lot, but if we have, um, the capacity to move into positions that will support us as we're, um, moving through the sensation that can help us. Right. And that might mean that, you know, we make it all the way to the other side, you know, with no, 
um, interventions. And for some of us, it may mean that we're able to go as far as we can before we introduce pain medication, right? But we'll have capacity is the point, right? And we need to, we need to be able to build that through, through our functional movement on a daily basis throughout the pregnancy. You shared your tips for preparing for pregnancy. Do you have any advice also for post-birth and early motherhood that you would love to share? Yeah, I think that, you know, for postpartum, I'm a big fan of community and making sure that you have tools for, you know, navigating that new period. Um, I think that having a postpartum doula is amazing. Obviously having a birth doula is amazing. I would, if it were me and I was having a baby, I would do both, right? Because the, the doula is there for you, for your family. Um, and then on the postpartum side, the doula is there for you, like how a baby nurse would be there for the baby. The doula comes in to show and, and sort of be there for you and to mother you, right? And so on the postpartum side, um, one of the things that I love for folks to do is get ready cooking, right? So preparing a lot of things that can go in the freezer that could be stored to be prepared later. So like casseroles and things that are frozen that you could reheat, like soups, broths, things like that, right? Um, I love folks to get into like, you know, I make a postpartum energy drink that I make for my clients and all kinds of high protein, um, plant-based um uh, treats and snacks that I make for them. So they can kind of, you know, uh, be on the side of healing because in the recovery period, your body needs so much protein, uh, to meet the demands of breastfeeding as well as healing at the same time. And so a, a lot of the, the work that I do, um, to support clients and, and also to teach the doulas is around like the nutritional needs of a, of a birthing person and, and what they need to kind of make it through. Um, and then on the postpartum, you know, um, the support of family, figuring out who needs to be there, who could be helpful, how they can help you on the other side of the birth experience is critical. The recovery period, um, thinking about like what to have in place to make sure that you feel most comfortable in terms of, you know, all the healing, there's a lot of blood that's passed. Um, Lochia lasts for like six weeks, three to six weeks, which is basically like, um, a mixture of like, you know, blood <clears throat> and uh, secretions um, and uh, cervical fluid that's leaving the body over the period of weeks. And then sweating happens a lot. You need new sheets all the time. You sweat a lot in the postpartum period. There's so many things that happen, right, that people don't prepare for. Mm -hmm. And so having someone who's there to look after you, I think is key. But the biggest piece is I think that we miss out for families our food, we, we never make sure people have enough food. So food is huge. Getting a meal train where folks can send food, come spend some time is good. And then I think, um, you know, having a, um, a licensed mental health provider or a counselor or someone that you can check in with because mental health is, is a big um, issue in the postpartum period because of our modern way of living, right? The way we live now is completely different. We used to be in community. We used to live in you know, tribes. And, and so we were not by ourselves and now we live far away from our family sometimes. And so no one's in the home except for like maybe our partner and other children. And we're expected to do this all on our own. It cannot be done on its own. It's not supposed to be right. You're supposed to be with community around you. And so living through COVID specifically, right. For so many people having babies in a time where we were isolated, it's really challenging. First of all, in any other period, 
to mother, right? Isolation is a big piece of motherhood. When you have your baby, you realize that you're alone and nobody's really showing up in the ways that you would hope they did, right? Mm -hmm. In COVID, it's like a mandate, right? To stay at home and to not be with others. And so it's a very challenging time for many people to adjust to new motherhood when they can't have community around. And so, um, and so, you know, a lot of what postpartum doula can do is help you to navigate this period, design like what a, what a space could be like, design how you can be in community with your family, even if you have to be at distance, um, you know, they can help create safe ways for you to, um, you know, have visitors. It can help you to um, organize your life in ways that will uh, support your transition into new parenthood so that when they leave, you have systems in place and you know how to kind of function, you know, when they go. So um, so I, I'm big on postpartum doulas, you know, showing up and supporting families. And yeah, and I'm big on people like really um, during the pregnancy, really envisioning what support looks like so that when their baby arrives, they don't feel uh, caught out there. Right. Um, and so that's really key. Another thing I would suggest is like a lactation consultant. You want to make sure that if breastfeeding is, uh, your preferred mode of feeding your baby, that, um, if you're going to breastfeed, that you do that with some support within reach so that if you have any challenges, um, or the baby's not latching well, or it doesn't seem like your milk is coming in um, as as uh, efficiently that somebody can come and support you um, right away to uh, ensure that that process goes smoothly. You're a proponent of Black Breastfeeding Week. Could you share some more about the importance of this week and breastfeeding in general? Yes. Well, you know, Black Breastfeeding Week was actually um, started by uh, three incredible uh, women in in the states. Um, one of which is a is a dear friend named Kimberly Sills Allers, um, who actually also is a co-founder of an app called Earth I R T H, which is basically like Yelp for birth, and it's an incredible resource for people who are um, who are in who are birthing, who are doulas, who are looking to impact maternal health. It's a really wonderful um, app. So people should check that out. But Black Breastfeeding Week um, is its own week because there are unique challenges and unique experiences of Black women um, in connection to breastfeeding, right? And so uh, because um, the experience of breastfeeding for Black women in the United States really started with, um, you know, our experiences during chattel slavery, um, nursing the babies of um, of the the slave masters' mm. uh, children, that the connection to breastfeeding, you know, when we when our ancestors had their own babies to nurse, they were forced to feed other babies, right, and and let their babies to to be, become malnourished, um, and so that connection of, um, of love and of tenderness and of trans transferring, you know, that, um, that liquid love, right. And, and immune factor and all those things that are transported through milk, um, and, and that connection of being held and supported, right. They weren't able to do that for their own children. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's like, when we talk about the history of breastfeeding in this country, you know, black milk was marketed, um, there was a unique slave market um, that was designed for the milk of um, of uh, black bond women. So this was a very painful time in history, 
and um, and so bodily autonomy and and a sense of uh, agency over one's body, a sense of um, sovereignty is new, right? Like we haven't we haven't lived, you know, a, 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 an extended period of time feeling and and having access to this, and so now where we can reclaim breastfeeding. Um, in, in a time where we are being heavily marketed to with pharmaceuticals, um, with, with um, formula companies, um, it is really challenging and really important for us to uh, be able to speak to the issues um, that are uh, specific to our community, but also look at the way we've triumphed over these um, huge hurdles. And if we look at breast milk as the first food, everyone should have access to breast milk. It is the gold standard for infant feeding. So everyone should have access to it and not just particular groups of people. And so, um, so this week really acknowledges the history. It acknowledges the challenges. It acknowledges the impediments um, to breastfeeding success in the Black community, but it also acknowledges the um, the triumphs, right? And and our um, commitment to continuing to reclaim our bodies as sacred, and also this process as one that is um, an act of 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 um, you know radical love and and really a political act. And so, um, Black Breastfeeding Week is. Uh, in the final week of um, August um, every year, the 25th through the 30th um, of August. Often babies want to use a mother's breast for suckling to comfort and not only breastfeeding. What is your view on this? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, I'm a proponent of breastfeeding. I think it's, you know, the gold standard for infant feeding is is breast milk and, you know, human milk. So um, it is at all costs, you know, we try to make sure that any baby, regardless of what the birth was or what the circumstances are, can have access to human milk. Um, and there's so many ways to to go about getting it. I mean, there are human um, donor milk uh, banks. There are pools where people pool their milk. Um, you can find folks online. There's apps to connect people to families who have excess milk. And so there's so many ways to get access to milk if you can't produce it yourself. Um, mm -hmm. there's also ways to sort of support, you know, patiently helping somebody grow a milk supply. There's lots of foods and supplements you can take to also support that. Um, and I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm a person that really is about, um, you know, a, a parent and a baby working together to develop their own communication dialogue, um, and also to design, what makes sense to their family. You know, I, I don't think that it feels good over time to let a baby lie on your breast and not suckle. And with their, I mean, your breasts will become raw, right? So you can't just like mm -hmm. let them hang out there and sleep. You know, you have to take the breast out of their mouth. But if they are, um, you know, interested in suckling to go to sleep and if that, if that helps them to fall asleep and helps them with relaxing them. My son was uh, nursing until he was three and, um, and I was ready to stop, but I also was responding to some of the pressure that I felt from other people. 
And um, I didn't have peer pressure because there wasn't social media. So I didn't have like people telling me online that it was too long, but I heard people telling people around me. And so um, I think that you should make a choice based on your own desires, right? And your own needs. And for me, it was great to nurse my son up until that point. I was like, okay, you're going to start like going to like a little kind of two days a week, a little daycare kind of thing. Like he was going to school and I was like, okay, this is good for you to stop nursing now. And I stopped and it was challenging for us for a couple of days. It was very painful for me in terms of not, not my body, but like it was sad, right. To end a, a period like that. Um, and so I think that when you end things, you have to be ready to do it. And, um, and any choices that you make, you have to feel like they're your own choices because you can regret things that you do based on somebody telling you advice or someone saying, oh, you should do it this way. You really have to feel comfortable in why you're doing it in a certain way, right? And so that would be my advice is to really listen to your own leanings, your own body, you know, what your baby and you are communicating to each other because it is a dance, you know, you're not um, making decisions on your own. You're making decisions together. You're working together as a unit. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, feeding is, is a, is a, feeding is a, a thing that happens between the two parties. Right. And, um, and the way that we can get support is through our partners, right? Or family members, they can bottle feed so that we can take a break. And there's lots of things that we can do. Um, my son was one who just nursed, he never had a bottle. So I was pretty much near him um, all the time for like three years, right? Like he was on my hip or on me <laughs> or close by um, pretty much all the time. That worked for me up to that point, right? Um, that doesn't work for everybody. So I think you have to do really what works for you. And, um, and really make sure that it's not clouded by um, advice of other people because people will tell you things that work for them. And if you try to do what other people do, you'll very quickly find out that um, it doesn't necessarily work for you. So it means that you'll have, to, you'll have to have lived experience. You have to try things for yourself and you have to fail or you have to try and you have to try again or do something a little different. And and all the things that you hear can be kind of um, perspectives that you can sort of take in as, as wisdom, but not necessarily things that you actually try out, you know? So it has to just be sort of one of those things where you um, eat the fish and throw away the bones, if that makes sense, you know? Like take what you need and leave what you don't. Do you have a message to every expectant parent out there right now? Something that you would love to offer to them? Um, you know, I just would say that, um, this is a really beautiful time, you know, in one's life and, and what I hope that you can, um, you know, take in, in this time is that this configuration will never happen again. Like, even if you get pregnant again, it won't be the same baby. It won't be the same body. It won't be the same time. So really revel in the magic and the mystery and the beauty and the, um, benevolent nature of, of your body. And, and what it is doing to support you and a growing baby at the same time. Be gentle, speak blessing over yourself. Do not criticize yourself, speak blessing over yourself and your baby. And, um, and, and really love on yourself during this time. 
and 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 watch at, at at just how beautifully you expand. You know, your hips will never look like this again. Your breasts will never like this, look like this again. Your behind will never look like this again, right? Everything is just so different and so beautiful and um, and so fully expressed in this time. And so, just um, just marvel and and appreciate um, what you what you're experiencing. Even the challenging moments, like they will go, and and you'll remember them as a you know um, like a, a small like experience in, in a, this longer. Um, period of, of what was a pregnancy for you. So, um, so like, yeah, enjoy, enjoy it while you can. It's only 40 weeks for some of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What has been your most valuable lesson being a mother to your son? Um, what's the most valuable thing? I mean, I have a 18 year old, you know, he's in his first year of college and, you know, I think parenthood can really be summed up as like, um, a journey of constant surrender. You know, it's like there, you, you, you're not ever in control and what you're doing when these people come, you're holding their hands and you're gently walking alongside them and guiding them, but there's never control. It's this dance, right? A parent being in, in relationship with their children and they become people that you're proud of and can't believe like you get to be friends with or family with, you know, I'm, I'm so in awe of and, and um, moved by my child and who he's become. And I also know he's his own person. Right. And that I am here to support him. And, and, um, and it's so hard to kind of let go because in the beginning they cling to you. And then when they grow up, you cling to them and, um, and you have to learn to, um, to soften your grip and trust that they have carried with them all the lessons that you've, um, you know, poured into them and, and you have to trust, right. And, and that faith, um, is, is part of your surrender journey, your surrendering journey. And so that's, that's what it's become for me, right? Like every day I'm just, you know, thankful. Um, and I, and I have to let go a little bit more as he becomes more and more of an adult. And he teaches me every day that he's becoming more of an adult. And, um, and we have a beautiful relationship and I'm very thankful for, um, all of our entire journey together. And, um, and I know that, the things that I did when he was really young, I know that like holding him for like three years and responding to his every need and, you know, carrying him and talking to him and bringing him everywhere I went. I know all of that imprinted him and, and created uh, a sense of safety and a sense of emotional intelligence and uh, kindness that he carries with him to this day. Right. I know that all of the things that I did as a parent um, have, have impacted him. And so, um, you know, on the other side of it, you just have to trust. And so that's where I'm at now. I'm in a place of surrender and trust. And, and I'm just um, prayerful that my son will remain um, on, on an enlightened path. Well, thank you so, so much for your time and all of your insights. How can we also support your work? Thank you so much. People can go to mamaglow.com and 
There you can find content and information about doula trainings, as well as um, events and things like that, that we have. And then um, mamaglowfoundation.org, and that's M-A-M-A-G-L-O-W. At the foundation, you can make a donation to the um, programs to support birthing individuals, to support um, doulas, midwives, and and folks who are doing work to impact reproductive justice and birth equity. And we just so appreciate you. Um, And you can see us online too. We're on um, at Glowmaven is my Instagram. And then um, at Mama Glow is on uh, our um, Mama Glow Instagram. So we hope to see you guys online. Yeah, thanks again and, and have a beautiful day. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for having a listen. If you'd like to be notified when a new episode is up, please hit subscribe. And also feel free to leave a comment. We're very happy with any feedback. Have a beautiful day and until next time.